Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Disco Fever, Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 3, People of Earth. This week is a spooky Halloween episode, and once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation, and social commentary. Has Bookworm become a fully-fledged member of Discovery? Has Detmer's augmenting technology tapped into HBO Max? Since the last episode, has Burnham turned into Rapunzel? Has Dr. Pollard been promoted to a series regular? All this and much more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Hi, mate. Hello. How are you? I'm unwinding. Oh, why? I've had a really bad day. I've had some issues with couriers, which is somewhat apt given the program that we're just about to discuss and because you've been laughing at me for the last half an hour because whilst waiting in the dhl depot for them to try and find and fail miserably to get my new camera from their depot i had to wear a face mask and because i have a big and unnecessarily long beard two hours wearing a face mask has resulted in said beard curling around the outer rims of said mask so i've now got this weird curly outer flicky beard and you've done nothing but laugh at me since you've been seeing my newly weirdly curly beard well because it's a podcast and not a video anyone who's familiar with flock of seagulls from the 80s will have an idea what his beard looks like (laughs) so i'm kind of feeling a little bit of sympathy for that fella who got killed in episode one and because he was mad at book for stealing his cargo because i feel dhl have stolen my cargo by not being able to find my package and so i too would like a phaser to uh, disintegrate them from the universe that is another one to add to our list of people who won't be sponsoring this show but I'll take the money. <laughs> Just after they've replaced my camera, like, I will take their money. <laughs> Which is now costed at £3,000. <laughs> I'm feeling all, ooh. So I was hoping I was going to be able to talk about what was a, a really amazing Discovery episode, which would lighten my mood and make me feel happy and jolly. Unfortunately... <laughs> This perhaps wasn't the right episode for them to have released on this particular day. (laughs) Do you want to expand on that? Uh, It was a bit... We love Jonathan Frakes, and he was the director of this episode. Did he not deliver this time, in your opinion? Should we do the synopsis? Because yes. I-, I feel that if we don't do the synopsis now, we may forget, because after my 20-minute monologue of just general moaning about life in general, and it's plausible that this episode isn't as bad as I actually feel it is right now, and that I'm just generally frustrated at DHL's incompetency. <laughs> you know, it, maybe it isn't as bad, but at the moment it doesn't feel like it's one of the good episodes. You might be projecting negativity i'm projecting something i was projecting something at that flipping fella who was telling me they couldn't find me package your beard <laughs> so without further ado let me give you this week's synopsis following burnham's return to the crew of discovery they travel to earth to learn the fate of the federation in their absence discuss so where do we start <laughs> i think you should go first uh, I feel we'll start with the positive, which is that I love the fact that there is new Star Trek that we get to watch and enjoy every single week. And when I complained about this episode, I generally still enjoyed it because it was a Star Trek episode. It involved all the Star Trek-y technology and spaceships. And quite frankly, I always wake up on a Friday morning feeling super mega happy because I've got a Star Trek episode to look forward to. It's unfortunate they all went a bit downhill after I left my front door. Um, (laughs) But that's by the by. This episode felt like 
like one of those Star Trek Picard episodes when they were trying to get the crew together and decided to take 15 of the 16 episodes in which to achieve that very goal. This kind of felt like it was a nothing episode as such. It was building foundations. And I actually feel that a lot of what they did in this episode could have probably been squeezed in. If you'd have put a bit in the episode one or a bit in episode two, you wouldn't have needed this episode at all and we could have spent it doing something else instead. It just had some seriously cringe-worthy, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, sentimentality. It was a bit cheesy at times. There were some fundamental flaws with some of the plots that they just decided they couldn't be arsed writing, so we went from C to Y in the <laughs> alphabet, and are pretending now that there's no letters in between then. We just assume they exist. And that sort of led me to feel at the end of the episode that it didn't deliver as much as the first one definitely did, and to a degree, the second one did. I would agree with some of that, yeah. There's things that I thought, as a Jonathan Frakes-directed episode, I was expecting a lot more from. I did think there was a little bit of humour. I did think there was a few elements of character Where? development. Where was the humour today? We- episode one and two were, quite frankly, pretty hilarious. I mean, I think I giggled like an idiot consistently throughout the first two episodes. I can't think of anything that was particularly that funny this episode, with exception of maybe Buck, when he met Giorgio off the, say. the transporter yeah. thing. That's probably the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. Oh yeah, actually yeah, you're right. Whereas last week there was oodles, it was all dripping sarcasm, which obviously if anyone's listened to this show will know that both Mark and I specialise in dripping sarcasm. Oh we love it, it's our go-to. Having thought about it, that is probably the only... Oh well, I I think there was one scene where Saru calls Buck Booker, if that's funny, because clearly I take the piss out of his name. Well that's his real name apparently. Oh, okay. I think, is Is it? it? I don't know. Well I thought it was something just uh, Cleveland Buck and he calls him Booker and because he's obviously forgotten his name's Buck. I feel we should know the answer to this question, shouldn't we? We should if we're going to put this in. (laughs) I was happy to leave this bit in. Okay. (laughs) I'm happy for the world to know my incompetences. They've listened to me rant, the very least deserve to hear my incompetences as well. Yeah, Cleveland Booker. Okay. So yeah, Booker's his name. Well, if that's the case then I will scrap that and go back to the fact then the only thing then is funny is what you said with Giorgio and Booker coming off the transporter. This felt like one of those episodic episodes that you get from some of the older series like Next Gen and the original series and because whatever reason which we've always raised as an issue they're intent upon squeezing it into as short a time frame as they can do it always feels a bit short and lacking in detail if you're going to do that and to be perfectly honest and I know people are probably going to be shouting at the mic about this but there's plenty of opportunities to do Star Trek series in the old school style Star Trek way so you've got your next gen you know everything is rosy type way and you've got voyager who wander around the universe telling everyone how things should be done in the right and proper way and there's nothing to stop us from well we've just had picard which is essentially much mm-hmm. the same thing isn't it part of the reason why i particularly like discovery because it was different it ticked some different boxes whether that suits all star trek fans is irrelevant to me because there's nothing wrong with having something different having some amuse bouche to suit all tastes and discovery started a bit like Game of Thrones where every episode you had no idea who was going to survive that episode and it was great because it meant 
that there was some real tangible risks, something that everybody could lose out on. And I feel we've lost that over the course of the last two seasons, largely because they keep bringing people back from the dead. But in this one, it kind of is a swung massive towards that. Hopefully we're not season three be going around the universe telling everyone how amazing the Federation was and this is actually how you're supposed to do things because you're all doing it wrong, which kind of feels like it was today with this whole Earth and Titan diplomacy debacle, which I'll moan about later because I'm conscious of the fact that I haven't shut up yet. I'm sure we will get onto that part. If we're going to continue chronologically, there's some elements that I thought were a bit samey. You have a different take on season one and two than myself. I didn't like all of season one and two, and I was really impressed when I saw these first two episodes of season three because they were off-world. And one of the things in my notes here is I thought that this episode was going to be similar to what we were talking about last week, which was it was going to cover her year, what she's been doing. Well, he seemed to manage to do that in about two minutes. Actually, I was quite glad they didn't do that because when that's the beginning of the scene started with that being the case I was like god I hope we're not going to watch episode 3 which is the quick rundown of what she's done for the last 12 months Mm. we were saying last week on the last episode of the podcast that it was going to be a filler wasn't anything what we were thinking I wouldn't have particularly liked a filler episode because I think we should just continue with the energy that we've built up over episode 1 well we learn as they learn don't we we learn as the Discovery crew learn absolutely that yeah we've talked about uh, it being a filler episode and it wasn't that it threw in that juxtaposition position very quickly she was mid thinking about it and next minute she gets the call and it's obviously discovery hailing her or whatever so we very quickly move into that and then it gets all lovey-dovey and we've all hugs and kisses and our oh, where have you been and she's obviously forgotten them because that's what tilly mentions when she's hanging up another starfleet insignia on the wall and she goes you kind of got over us didn't you she went, yeah <laughs> well in fairness she's been sharing a starship with book now i know that they're officially not an item and they've denied it but as we established fully over the course of episode one's dissection both mark and i would have been on him like a fly on shit because the man without the top doesn't cli- disappoint i would have climbed him like a tree <laughs> One thing we did find about that very short synopsis that she provided over the last 12 months was that, in fact, that is her real hair and her hair really did grow that long in 12 months. And I really want to know what hair products she uses because I've got some rather receding front bits on my forehead, which is now a five head, where I would really welcome that kind of growth over a 12-month period. We both need to probably invest in dreads. I love her hair. Though. I mean, she looks... She's always been pretty, but the short hair obviously was supposed to give that Vulcan serious vibe which it did but she's so pretty and the long hair she looks amazing I have to say I love the new look watching the episode intro where it kind of shows the evolution of her hair all I was thinking of you remember the 80s you had the play-doh yeah where you turned the screw and the guy it pushed play-doh through the oh yeah yeah do you remember those yeah and if you did it slowly the play-doh would push through the holes in his head with a big full head of hair it was weird that they focused on that though was it yeah. I mean I love the curly hair as well I, I always wanted curly hair I don't know why I can't explain it and I'm dead jealous of her it it seems like the people who did episode 3 obviously John Frakes realised that people were going to ask questions about how she got from short hair in episode 1 to long hair in episode 2 and felt they had to show that montage it was almost like a rocky training montage of just her hair growing anyway we love it Burnham we think you look absolutely boss keep it it looks amazing I want some text me the hair products please hair relaxer at least we've answered that question in this episode the other thing is when they mentioned Admiral Tal you know last week you were saying the guy from episode 1 who because 
he's been indoctrined into Starfleet. Oh yeah. But I immediately thought, oh, is this the guy? And he's, has he's, he promoted himself to admiral? <laughs> that's what I thought. It's not obviously. It's it's a different character. But I was thinking, oh, hang on, maybe it no, is. it's his mate who did what that fella didn't bother his ass to do. This this other fella was on on Earth on his own, going, well, if I'm the only one, that kind of makes me in charge, and therefore I'm going to make myself supreme admiral of everything. Well, Giorgio did. Well, she did. And the fella on the space station whose name escapes me right now, he should have been, I would have been quite happy if he'd have titled himself Admiral because he was lovely and he seemed like a very good guy, very conscientious. Well, there was no one around to question him. He wasn't going to get a review or investigation, is there? He was just be going, uh, and who made you an Admiral? What? What? <laughs> Um, yeah, all those millions of people who died just before all the um, Dilithium blew up, they made me an admiral, and there's no one left to tell you because they're all dead. I mean, I'd like to come back to the admiral thing okay. later. Well, if we're going chronological, we'll leave it to the end because I feel it's a bit more of a where do we think it's going statement or question, really. I'll yeah, leave yeah. that for now. Now, we do get an answer. I made a note. You mentioned robots last week. Ah, yes. I think I was maybe talking at cross-purposes to you. The robots that Reno had when she was saved were not the same robots as you were talking about. And I also mentioned the worker bees. The robots that you mentioned quite rightly in last episode are called Dot Seven Bots. Uh, and they're in a scene where they're repairing the hull from the damage from the parasitic frost or snow or, or ice or whatever it was. But it would not been better to call them Dot Bots. And then you can maybe call them Dot Bot 7 or Dot Bot 8. Sounds stupid putting the 7 in between. Just from like a, you know, product perspective. Possibly, but if that's the seventh iteration of that bot. Yeah, but you call it Dot Bot 7. Yeah, but what if In it's the same city, the same way you go generation. PlayStation 4. You don't go Play 4 Station, Play 5 Station. Oh, I see what you're saying. So if it was a, if it was an eighth generation, it would be a... Eighth. Federation, give me a ring. We'll sort that out. PR, marketing, me and Matt, we're all over it. Of course, you don't exist in this timeline, so... In fact, you don't exist now. But if you've now worked out how to go back in time, then you can come back, get us on board. We'll spot bot that right out of the ballpark. Everyone alone, one back time, we've finished. You need the two marks, don't you? <laughs> you do indeed. Yeah. And if you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, we'll put Star Trek Federation adverts at the beginning and the end. Oh, yeah, Paramount. Get in touch. Oh, yeah, Paramount. Yeah, yeah. We, we'll sort that as well. Yeah, all the time, all day long. <laughs> Do we think they swept the floors inside as well? See, I don't know whether I've seen that's them. That's Dave's job. That's Dave's job. He needs something. Now his medical career's ended. We have seen them before. We've seen them in season two, Such Sweet Sorrow, and we actually saw one of them in one of the short treks, Ephraim and Dot. I'm sure they were all on Netflix. Well, I pay for CBS Online. <laughs> if you want to be a sponsor, even if you offer less money than DHL, you can still have the slot. <laughs> we're getting to haggle it was episode 4 of season 2 short treks called Ephraim and Dot cool and Netflix is where you need to go for them they're very well hidden it's like a bonus round if you can find them and no one else can help you maybe you can hire the A-team the other thing that really worried me when we very quickly realised that we weren't going to get a year in the life of Burnham which is fine was Corridors She's back on the ship, hugs, kisses, gifts and... No social distancing, is there, in the year 3000? Oh, they don't care, do they? No. Even got a snotty alien in the turbo lift last season. <laughs> uh, he probably caused all this. Again, I was just thinking, oh, here we go, another season two where we're just walking around, having a chat on a corridor. I'm not happy with all that stuff. Well, I like the action stuff. I like the off-world stuff. I like the stuff where we're seeing new species. It's the classic Trek I like. It's the next generation type 
stuff. I've just started watching The West Wing because it's on Channel 4 and I've been meaning to watch it for yonks and I've just started. A lot of their shots are very much the corridor shots, aren't they? The two people talking as they walk through loads of things and that's kind of the vibe that I now get from those particular scenes, which I never got before because obviously I never watched it. But Now I'm just reminded of, now you mentioned West Wing, Designated Survivor. Oh my God, yeah. How many corridors did they walk down? <laughs> to be honest, I only got halfway through season one and gave up on that. Well, it's been cancelled now, but it's on, it's on Netflix as well, who are not a sponsor yet. But maybe the person, the thing that ties all of these loops together is that the producer has done West Wing, Designated Survivor, and Star Trek Discovery, and he goes, oh, I love a corridor shot. Imagine his cameraman must have thighs like a horse with all the walking backwards that they have to do to film these scenes. Yeah. Very quickly was I disappointed when we didn't get what we thought we might have got, but then we're back on the ship, walking corridors, and it was mostly ship-based, wasn't it? There was no real storyline by the fact that we went to Earth, and it's quite convenient now that the spore drive, which I thought they couldn't use again, I thought it damaged the mycelial network... I'm glad you brought that up because due to a legal wrangle that's currently happening behind the scenes, I noticed that he didn't refer to the giant dust mite that we've spoken about in season one that no one's heard. Because <laughs> you haven't edited it. This is staying in. I just want Mark, who's listening to this in the future, you're keeping this in. <laughs> the future being tomorrow. The dust mites that we joke around doesn't get mentioned. They've given it a different name or they're given something a different name. And I know from looking at general news feeds, there's some legal wrangle to do with whoever came up with the name. Oh my God, could you be asked? Well, you couldn't really unless you're a scientist who needs some money to pay for the next lot of research you're doing. I did notice that they refer to whatever he uses to power this. He gave it a different name. Right. And I thought, hmm, not heard that before. Maybe I have, maybe listeners, I've got it wrong. Get in touch. How can they get in touch? Disco fever at thepodstation.co.uk. I think season two, they backed away from the use of it because of it being painful to the BCs. Well, I, yeah, I thought we established yeah. that, but now they seem to not give a shit about it. Now, I know there was an element of the Mirror Universe was destroying it because they were just going in like a lump hammer and just decimating the mm. whole thing to turn it into a super mega weapon but i'm sure and now again i might be wrong feel free to come in and contact us and tell us how wrong we are but i'm sure it was damaging it and that's part of the reason why they decided that it should be outlawed it should be banned it shouldn't be used again that's why the federation made that decision i think it was like a snowflake episode where it was like let's not kill the whales and make shark fin soup just for the record mark is very much for not killing whales <laughs> That's true, I'm not for the whale killings or shark fin soup malarkey that goes on. But I did feel that that episode was very on it in about being humane, not being mean to creatures and all that stuff. When this suddenly came about, I was like, oh, okay. But then it made sense because they now can move to any parts of the quadrants. It's alluded to the Alpha Quadrant. They've gone to Earth. So wherever they were... Is this lazy storytelling? Because they've just solved a gargantuan problem with the click of a, a finger, really. We just insert arm dildos into stamets and poof, we're gone. The, the, we're there. Dil, the arm dildos we're, are back. We're back in Earth and we can do all the things we did. So I didn't particularly like that because I felt it was a cop-out. Part of the reason why I was quite intrigued with where this season was going was assuming that they were going to be exploring parts of the universe that Starfleet obviously had been to because there was ships splattered all over the place, but which we were less familiar with and therefore it was going to be a, an adventure. We were going to learn in the same way as, as the 
the discovery, whereas actually if the spore drive can just drop them wherever they want to be at any given time. It means that the inclination is to just drop in on the Klingons and see what they're up to and drop in on the Romulans and see what they're doing and drop in on the Vulcans and see what they're up to and it then suddenly becomes the same old aliens that were regurgitating. I agree entirely. I do hope we don't do that because we know what's happened to the Klingons, the Vulcans and the Romulans. We've got countless episodes across umpteen seasons of various Trek to know what happened to all of them. They have done a painting by numbers approach by including this as a way to not tell a story properly by being able to use a spore drive to just move because I hoped, I longed, I dreamt of having a whole season in this quadrant because we didn't know where they were. It was assumed it's the Beta Quadrant. So the Bajorans he mentions in episode one about 100 light years away. And I said, is that possibly a link to the Bajoran wormhole? If it was the Beta Quadrant in the future, that would have been ideal. Let's have a look. Let's have a mooch around. And you've got the Breen. We haven't really looked into the Breen around that area. You've got the Bajorans. Where have the Bajorans gone since Deep Space Nine? Bit of a, as you say, poor storytelling. It's a bit of a letdown. And of course, we end up landing on Earth. Now, what did we think about Earth? Because this felt like a massive political swing at the current shitstorm that we find ourselves in on planet Earth in, Build that wall. in 2000. So we've, we've obviously got the American situation, which I don't want to dwell on too much. It's far from us in the old Brit Isles to be commenting on that, but it felt very much the build the wall and not let them in. And I suppose it could be argued from our side of the pond that it's a very Brexity kind of don't let them Europeans in kind of argument. And whether you're for or against, I'm not really asked because it's irrelevant. We're talking about Star Trek here. That's kind of the themes that they were going on there. Definitely nuances of that. Earth is an island now. A British person telling them that we are self-sustainable. We've got all this dilithium. We don't want you stealing our stuff and taking it away. Very colonial. But I have a major problem with this as well because we're in the year 3000. They've got all this wonderful technology where they can put this sexy force field around Earth. They can beam themselves onto locations even though their shields might be up. All the other things that they can do in the year 3000. What they can't do is scan on a moon which is in their own solar system to determine and establish that there's humans on there communicate with those humans to say are you all right and i appreciate there's been a bit of a technological faux pas that happened with shit exploding lots of people dying but you can't tell me in the 100 or 200 years since the burn they haven't been able to put a satellite in between earth and the moon titan can't remember which of the planets it is saturn so it's a moon around saturn so in the general scheme and i appreciate that i'm doing air quotes here i appreciate the general scheme of earth wise it's miles away it's billions and millions of miles or whatever the hell it is but in the scale of star trek universe it's a stone throw away and i can't believe they didn't communicate they weren't interested in communicating and that they weren't able to open a dialogue to have a conversation about shit's hit the fan here we could do with some help and they'll go oh well we're all right and self-sustainable but uh, what is it you're after you know what i mean absolutely and also let's make it more complicated by wearing a alien looking mask from Aquaman Black Well that Mantis. felt like Scooby Doo didn't it when they peeled off the helmet they go oh you pesky oh. kids you Well the dialogue would have gone a lot better if he'd have appeared on the view screen as a human wouldn't it? Saying look we need some dilithium because we're all starving to death on planet Titan we're human and we could do with a little bit of help please fellow humans and lo and behold the Earth might have gone oh you're human yeah it'd probably be a good thing to help you Did we get another thought that it was a slightly political thing about people not looking like your own kind so you've got this tribalism 
where she's human, but he doesn't look human. He looks alien. So you treat people badly when they're alien. But then when you find out they're your own people, you welcome them in. What we've established is that everyone in the year 3000 is a massive bellend. (laughs) (laughs) And rather than even attempt to have conversations with one another to find a peaceful solution, everyone just wants to club each other over the head to death and take whatever it is that happens to be in their pockets. We're in the future and things have seemed to have devolved. We've kind of gone back to the old days of quarrelling and and fighting for bits of land. And I'm happy with those storylines. I mean, it's great because it's very topical based on the environment that we're in at the minute. However, my problem with this episode is that almost in the blink of an eye, Saru with his cheesy, and I love Saru by the way, but Saru with his cheesy Starfleet, oh well we should all hug, kiss and just get along with one another and somehow we haven't adopted Saru's diplomacy skills in the Middle East because it seems that if you just stand there and say something nice to them everyone hugs, kisses and gets on with one another and all the problems are solved and then, we, and then we pan away and we go right, Earth solved, let's go to the next one shall we? I hope that they're not going to be going episode by episode revisiting all of the old planets and doing the Scooby-Doo stories. I mean, all those Giorgio's approach to diplomacy where you just punch them in the balls and they suddenly take the mask off, go, yes, I'm going to do what you need to do. When I see episodes like this with the gushy bits where Saru's like, yes, I will be your captain, people. Well, let's just go on to that captain. Captain. Saru captain. Yes. Or Captain Saru, as he's known. I mean, he's a natural, isn't he? We've always said throughout, although you won't know this, people, because Mark hasn't edited those shows yet, we're all for Saru being the captain. He's a good captain. So far, he's been second in command to both Jojo, Lorca... And Pike. uh, And Pike. Well deserving of this. (laughs) And being in charge in between their deaths. Exactly, it's the most obvious choice. It would have been a bit of a kickoff. I know in the book, there's a book that's non-canical that he gets overlooked again. He's not very happy about it. He's shown that he can do it because every time one of his captains dies, he takes over. And does a really good job. Absolutely. I think Giorgio adds a nice bit of, you said last week, Le Yin and Yang. She's probably his dark passenger. She's the far right. He's the far left. And now we've got Burnham who kind of adds a nice little mix to this three-way because she's a bit of both, hasn't she? Mm. She's obviously naturally been... Starfleety with her approach to stuff but she spent the last 12 months basically acting very much like Giorgio and kind of has found a taste for the less traditional methods she's now going to be an interesting part of that relationship because Giorgio I mean when Book turns up and she says welcome to my ship I mean she, she's she got trouble written all over her forehead and there's no doubt before the end of this season she will have tried a coup of some description that was one of the funny parts they refer to that a movable force meets uh, yeah let's pretend we know what it is but I know exactly that phrase and if you've watched this episode you do too yes she's diametrically opposed to Saru and his methods Saru's trying to be overtly federation based on where they are she's coming from the mirror universe where if she wants something to happen it happens and if you don't like it you're going to get phased in the face the two of them work really well and I actually like the two of them side by side Saru's always been a character that I've liked and I'm glad they've written him the way they have and she now because she's the mirror universe version has got a lot of growth as a character then when you bring Burnham into the mix Burnham's a different Burnham now yeah and she's got a real fondness for Saru but she's proven time and time again she doesn't mind ignoring 
ignoring him. Mm. And she has this dead, weird relationship where she doesn't trust and inherently wants to kill Giorgio, but in her, you me mother, and love you, and I know I shouldn't want to kill you, but I do want to kill you anyway because you're an evil bitch mm. type relationship. It's dead weird because Burnham's got feet in both camps. Yes. And theoretically, that shouldn't work, which is obviously going to create a weird dynamic. Well, you never know where you stand, do you, with Giorgio, whether she's going to stab you in the back. I, don't, I think she's mellowed based on how she was with Section 31 situation. Well, she hasn't cooked Saru, has she, for no. tea? No, no, exactly. Each one of these characters are showing a different side to themselves, and time will tell when we get to the end of the season where we stand with all of them. Because I had a feeling that Burnham wasn't going to come back to the Discovery based on this year where she's developed all of these new fighting skills and things. And I thought she would continue to be a courier. Hopefully not for DHL. Because you'd never get it. you would just be flying around with a cargo hold full of lost items. It would be like the lost and found box in the school. Who was wearing brown trousers in the first place? (laughs) How many times would you go to lost and found because you've shat yourself or something and there's a pair of brown trousers? It's it's when your mum's put your white t-shirt in with some brown pants. Again, whoever wears brown pants, but they've done it and you accidentally, and again, I'm doing air quotes here, you accidentally lose them at school. (laughs) Somebody puts them in the lost and found and you just pray you never forget your PE kit because you might have to put that top that you've deliberately left. Brown trousers and Jesus sandals were the staples of all... (laughs) They every school it was part they of the curriculum. Never washed it either. No. Did they? Who, who washes the they, lost and found box? They went hunting down and shooting because they stunk of stale piss. <laughs> It was like a torture. If you forgot your PE kit and you had to do your PE in a pair of Jesus sandals and brown stale piss stained trousers, no wonder all the kids of the 80s were traumatised. You've got easy Generation Y or whatever it is now. Just to bring us back to the point of the Burnham. I mean, one of the things that really irked me about this episode was the fact that Burnham decided to completely ignore Saru, go off and do her own thing, which was to challenge this fellow with the helmet. Oi, oi. <laughs> but we completely missed out i actually just checked my pulse to make sure i (laughs) I hadn't fallen asleep for five minutes because all of a sudden they appear on the bridge with the person that they were challenging i was like did i just miss something did i fall asleep did did i miss the bit where they cunningly implemented a plan that foiled his evilness and they've now got him captured as a prisoner probably saved about 12 minutes worth of filming there leads itself back into what you were saying about rushing the episode 60 minutes 20 seconds they were still walking around corridors talking about shit And, (laughs) I told you it was going to get ranty, people. And the other thing that irritates me is when to substantiate the relationship that has been built between Burnham and Buck, which actually from episode one was pretty cool from their first meeting, to be frank. And so to think that they've built up an even better rapport with one another over the course of 12 months isn't a stretch too far by any suggestion. And yet they have to go through this really irritating speech. Oh, do you remember that time on so-and-so when we did that thing yes but it wasn't as good as that thing on you know so-and-so and that other time it's like fuck off it's like when you're sitting on a table and people are having a conversation about shit that happened on holiday 10 years oh do you remember the time when we went away to thingy and oh dave pissed himself it's like i don't care 
we're now fully grown people and we're not interested anymore in that kind yeah. of stuff and that's it was like it was cheap and lazy script writing followed and made worse by the fact that they forgot the exciting battley bit yeah it's only interesting for the people that were there yeah if you were on holiday in the Bahamas and a, and a jellyfish beat your tit that's the joke between two people isn't it well next week's episode is obviously going to be Burnham saying to Buck oh do you remember that time when we uh, we got that fella who looked like he was in Scooby-Doo with a helmet and we tricked him and we got him onto the thing oh if you were there and he'd be like well if Netflix had paid for an extra 12 minutes of the episode we probably would have been there and we'd have found out what happened it was little things like this which annoyed me in this episode and I didn't think it was necessary yeah I think it was too easy that the diplomacy was resolved it was too easy that they captured him it was too obvious that he turned out to be human as well and the questions of technological inabilities to actually realise that that is the case was just glaringly obvious so yeah I was a bit irked by that but we've seen the end of book now apparently well before book books off book 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 end before he does book off did anyone think that it was his ship entering the shuttle bay it just about made it oh it was tight wasn't it oh it was tight oh my word I mean as it was coming in did anyone think it was reminiscent of the Emperor's shuttle coming in on Star Wars you know on the Death Star yeah you just see these motifs and you think I'm sure I've seen that type of thing before and yes but I was thinking that's gonna hit that's gonna that's gonna scuff the bit of paint scratching that's gonna scratch yeah yeah that was some that was some serious parking by book because there wasn't an awful lot of give was there on the top and the bottom no and this is another piece of the story where you were in a coma and then woke up he puts it in the shuttle bay to hide the dilithium didn't he and then he's out the shuttle bay running away with it so seconds have gone by at this point and then yeah how do you manage to do that without getting stopped I mean there was enough people in that shuttle bay when they were trying to bring the bloody Norma ship in which just for health and safety purposes can I make a suggestion to the discovery crew you clear the area in case an enormous spaceship that can just about fit in through the door doesn't accidentally land on one of the 50 idiots who are running around, skewing around, pushing trolleys of shit. I don't know. I think that was the DHL warehouse. It probably was. That's probably where my package is. Crushed. Yeah, underneath Buck's thing because some idiot left it there. Yeah. I mean, when Data used to do that on the next gen, you could understand because he was super mega clever and he'd messed around with the computer systems before he set off to do it. So when they're going, Data, you can't do that. It's going, oh, it's all right. I've already locked you all out of your system tough they just basically ran as fast as they could to the shuttle bay jumped in went quick start it zoom I mean how fast they got back out again given how tight it was I mean you know they're scratched on the way out don't you you do well also if if the shuttle bay doors have to go through that energy field surely you'd have to get flight permission or something is it a shield or well I don't know I would assume some doors come down again write in and tell us if you're a ship expert in the future yeah a federation but presumably the doors come down because if those force fields ever fail you're foo bad aren't you yeah, whereas well, if there's some doors down and a force field or even you switch the force field off except for when the doors are going up it kind of makes it a bit safer for when you're pushing your trolley around about with you know a spaceship about to park on top of you you're trying to stash cameras if you don't have fields and you can just fly in and fly out, what's stopping anyone else getting onto that? Clearly we found the size of the ship. <laughs> Although, actually, it's not booked, so, yeah, no, nothing. Yeah. There's no defences there. No, so the guy with the massive Black Manta helmet thing, he could fly in, couldn't he? Well, he could, but he got foiled by the kid's dastardly plans. He did, and get punched in the scrotum by <laughs> Giorgio. 
which would be amazing to watch on Scooby-Doo if that was what happened. So yeah, I mean, it looks like we're not going to see Buck. I was sort of assuming he'd be ensconced within the Discovery crew and become part of whatever exciting adventure, but it looks like we're going to, he's going to be a character we may come back to at some point in the future in a very convenient storyline. We've got all these characters now we've just thrown off. Last week's episode was the villain who was a courier. The first episode was a guy who's been doing the work of Federation on his own. What it does show, actually, is one person can do the work of several thousand if millions have died. Also, while I just spin off into my own little world, the juxtaposition she gives at the very beginning has every single Federation ship just parked right next to each other. <laughs> so if there was a cascade failure, whether it won... Well, they were all driving at warp as well. They all exploded at the same time. They look stationary there. This is the interesting thing, because I don't know whether this is where Saru's story of, oh, we weren't using warp, that's why we didn't blow up story, seemed like a really bad one, because if you just had a warp drive with dilithium in it, it just exploded whether you were using it right that very second or not. That's the fact, I understand it. The fact it might have just been switched on was enough to cause it to blow up. Yeah. Then that story he's just given was utter shit. Well, it is, and that's the point, is that the whole thing is it's dilithium, so anything with dilithium in it would have gone kaboom. The way she tells the story is all of the ships were just parked up next to each other, not exploring that Federation space. All these millions of people who were literally right next to each other in a multi-story car park all died fruitlessly because they could have got off onto little shuttles because one would have gone, we're getting a warp core breach here and the ship next to it would have gone, oh yeah, we are too. Should we put the shuttle pods out? Oh yeah, it's a good idea. But no, we'll just stand waiting to die. Maybe they were at one of those universe cinemas, you know, the drive-in ones. Maybe they're all in COVID. They can't go anywhere near each other so they've got to stay at so many light years apart or whatever. It's all right, we've got an admiral now, haven't we, on board? We have indeed. I did like the introduction. We haven't seen this before. The trill? Well, yeah. She's not, yeah, she is trill. She's human with a trill inside her, isn't she? Yeah, which is... Oh, well, she's not a she. Sorry, we should clarify because she's... um Non-binary. A non-binary. Apologies for that slip. It, it's just habit, which I guess shows the importance of bringing this to the fore, but... But does it? Because she's non-binary, but she's a trill. And that's the dichotomy. Clearly, a host to the symbiote. The trill isn't non-binary. So is she non-binary? Get your writing shops around that. What is important to recognise with the introduction of this character is, of course, that Tilly is now not the young genius. She's now the one with all the brains. I mean, I quite liked it. She was quite good, although I didn't particularly like the... I'm trying to describe how the conversation was. I kind of want to puke in my breakfast conversation that Adira and Stamets had in another corridor yeah. where Stamets was being all friendly and gooey, which is ironic because he's the least gooey, friendly person on the ship. I liked him a bit more. Yeah, he was quite nice, wasn't he? I liked the fact he was a bit more compassionate. I think he felt like he was important and wisdom because although she's very, very, very clever, he was kind of sharing the technology about his dildo arms and he was explaining. And I got to see another side of him and I don't know whether because his character's written extremely boring and arrogant I like this side of him so for the writer's benefit get yourselves doing more of that I actually warmed to him wow nearly 30 episodes how exciting he's arrogant isn't he and it's okay being arrogant you must have some flaws and the only flaws were that he spent most of season 2 moping around you know walking around corridors he's had, his husband had just died in fairness to him he didn't give me the impression he didn't sell me on the fact that he was mourning. no he didn't actually I, that was something we had a bit of an issue with again you won't know this people because the episodes aren't oh, the strange. gift that keeps on giving <laughs> he didn't come across did it particularly no. that he was overly mourning yeah he didn't seem bothered whether he's at a certain level of intelligence that means he's lacking in the emotional retinue or whatever I just didn't think he sold me on the fact that he was really bothered about this husband was dead in fact missing in action when there was the return he didn't really well he did when he returned he did have an issue because of course Colbert couldn't quite get his head around how he felt about things 
things in general, and that did bother him. Yep, I think we've established that new friendly Stamets is a, a thumbs well, up. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the way they've written him. I mean, if they continue doing that, we'll probably he'll be leaving after the next episode, the way the, the cast's going. One of the new things that I think we've got from Adira is this whole concept that she's got this admiral inside, which I think this is a massive red herring, and my fear is because they've gone down the slightly pukey Star Trekky route in this episode, which I don't like. I don't like it when they go all gushy and yeah. wear righteous path because nobody's that righteous and nobody's that good. And I find it feels a bit insincere. I think the red herring is that they're going to spend this entire episode trying to find the Federation when actually they'll realise that the Federation was always them all along. Oh no. Exactly. They might find the odd person dotted around who might believe in the Federation, but essentially in trying to find what they see as the Federation's new base, it's a bit like this, the Jedi Island that Luke up and off skid to. In trying to find this new secret place, what they'll actually do is go around spending 30 seconds telling everyone that they should hug each other and it'll solve all the problems of trying to wipe each other off the face of the earth for the last hour for many generations. And we'll gradually reintroduce that Federation ethos all around the universe and thus create a brand new federation so when they actually do find the secret federation hiding place which is probably one fella who's a drunk hates the world and doesn't believe in the federation anymore goes well I'm not the federation then they come going well that's a bit of a disappointment they go well it's not really because for the last 15 episodes we've been rebuilding the federation at which point I'll throw up in my own mouth and feel very disappointed and I'll probably have a shit in my brown pants (laughs) The one thing that the episodes starting off with was the fact that they were outside of their comfort zone and there was this brand new mission of hope that they could bring their understanding of, of the Federation to this new future. I do hope it doesn't end up being overtly political because I tend to have my eyes roll when that happens. I don't need to be... You don't want preaching to, do you? No, I, I say this all the time. One of the things, the staple of all the Star Treks that came before the well decided to be a different thing, you were able to choose for yourself. You were along the journey with them and you could see both sides and I got a glimpse of that and I say a glimpse it was like I was back in the next generation where Picard was learning two different types of species language so we could mediate between two species we've got a dumbed down version really what we've got is humans talking to humans now you shouldn't need to mediate that at all humans have known each other but we're in the 32nd century we've known each other for 32 centuries so we shouldn't require another human in fact arguably aliens to mediate two humans that for a glimpse was a a Picard episode but the difference being was he was putting the work in to be respectful and humble to two two different species to help them be better together and he didn't need to do that because he's just a Starfleet officer but in the interest of the Starfleet ethos that's why it worked really well because you were along the journey with him and the crew working out the dilemmas trying to understand mm, should you do this should you do that we'll decide both sides of the fence so you might not agree with the Earth's position in this episode but they've just lost everything they've had quite literally had their world ripped from underneath them and so their natural instinct was to consolidate and protect their own planet their own bubble their own existence and without dilithium they weren't able to travel as far afield to try and rebuild the things that they were trying to do so they've naturally their world has got a bit smaller now whether you agree with that philosophy or not you have to understand why someone might get to that place in order to try and solve it likewise of course you've got these people on titan who found themselves in a real spot of bother and need some help and they've gone about it arguably the wrong way because they've gone around waving a big stick instead of perhaps trying to hold an olive 
of branch out to ask, although whether the Earth would have then reciprocated in a friendly way is another matter. However, as you say, on Next Gen, we were kind of opened up to those different positions, and then the question wasn't answered for us. Whereas in this one, Saru kind of does, and he does it with the big violins playing in the background, with Giorgio huffing and puffing. <laughs> Quite right, along with us rolling our eyes, yeah. going, oh my God, please let's not go around the universe telling everyone that there's a better way of doing things, because that feels awfully righteous. That's like somebody telling me that I could do something better if I did it there, when it's like, well, maybe in your eyes possibly, but not in my eyes. But then you've also got the fact that the Federation doesn't exist, and we get the understanding that was 700 years that the Dilithium was running out, and then went kaboom altogether. You've mentioned this in, I think, episode one and two, possibly the fact is it about fossil fuels and things like that and thinking about being a bit more greener with looking out for new resources to use as energy so whether the federation had its time and now people are trying this new thing yeah you might have it where it's a bit western it's a little bit more like an outland type of feel to it where everyone is out but they seem to have this trading system going on with couriers who work as the middle people to you know somebody asks for something and they find it well not always (coughs) (coughs) right back in the future they do or they don't they just steal it don't they that's what Buck does in episode one so the couriers haven't learned you've not learned for the second century you've done nothing to improve no five stars on trust pilots I can tell you <laughs> they clearly it works for them for the federation from the past to go well we're going to tell you how it should go like, hang on a minute you had your time you've gone it hasn't been rebuilt it's a guy in a broken down space station walking around thinking he's the boss and as you what do you say he's changed <laughs> I hope they don't do that and I hope we don't have another 12 episodes of them just going to different planets and we're back in the Alpha Quadrant I really hope we don't start seeing the same species at the moment there is no real storyline that's starting to show itself beyond finding and rebuilding the Federation and the only way to do that the way I perceive it is to be almost going back to episodic jumping around the particular areas that they jump around trying to fix things and I think when you ever refer to the fact that you're trying to fix things always suggest someone's taking a moral high ground and that is always a dangerous position to take because your perception of a moral high ground might be different to somebody else's perception of a moral high ground and I don't like to be told even if they're right on that particular topic I still don't like to be told that that's the moral high ground that I have to shout for or support I like to make my own decision about that and I'm worried this season if it continued down the road that this episode has kind of created could very easily almost become a political bloody message for the remainder of this episode and I don't watch Star Trek for political messages I watch it to enjoy a story that granted will touch upon current affairs in a perhaps a modern likewise way but fundamentally is supposed to be there to entertain us I don't watch Star Trek for the news I watch the news for the news I watch Star Trek to be entertained about cool modern spaceship shit that gets me all excited about what my new phone's going to do in another hundred years time. Well I want to find out what my phone's going to do in the next couple of years. Mark uses a phone from 1996. Well it's got a strap on it because it's that big and he has to carry it over his shoulder. Although it's not a flip phone because it would look like a communicator. (laughs) Although every time I 
watch a program where they have flip phones, it always makes me want to get another flip because I've only had one flip phone in my entire life. And actually, I found it really irritating when I had it, not least because there was a great risk that you broke the flippy bit of it <laughs> if you fell asleep on it, drunk or something. But yeah, when you're watching like 24 and they're flipping stuff up and flipping it down, you go, oh, I'll quite happily get rid of my super mega touch screen phone and just go back to a flip. How many people bought a Motorola Razor Z because they thought they were in Star Trek? Loads of people. Yep, mine yep. was silver. Yeah, I had one of them as well. And did you do the noise? Go, blip! No, but I wish I had. If there'd have been the sound effect that you could have downloaded in those days, because of course, flip phones aren't... <laughs> not intelligent They're phones. not intelligent enough to be able to no. do all that stuff, then yes, I would have had that effect. They were cool. Absolutely agree with you. I don't want to be preached to. That's why Next Generation were... Because don't forget, when I was watching it, it was the 80s. My mind wasn't about, ooh, you know, is that supercharged? Should, should you be thinking that way? You just watched it for escapism. And that's what my biggest bugbear is, is any programme or film telling me stuff where I can just put the television on to find out what's on the world stage in current affairs. I don't need another TV show to tell me that certain lives matter or people aren't happy with the status quo. I get it. I understand fundamentally that the world's broken. And let's be honest, the baseline for humans isn't happy. Mark Maron talks about the fact that the world's fucked. The baseline for humans isn't a happy place. We will always be in the states of trauma. So, <laughs> God, people are going to be so happy listening to this, listening to you tell them all that the miserable and me moaning about DHL. <laughs> Tune in next week. Well, I hope to guarantee a... When we'll finish you all off. <laughs> yeah, by playing our violins. Because we go through life and there's things that happen, and that's the fact. When we watch stuff, the purpose we watch these shows is actually to uplift us and have a little bit of, what, 42 minutes to relief. Escape. Yeah, yeah 40, absolutely. 42 minutes of relief. Well, we got porn preferably, for relief. <laughs> preferably an hour of relief, Netflix. Yeah. Because then we might actually find out how Burnham and Buck were cunning when they went to Thingy, you remember that time, and did that thing that obviously duped our new friend with his Scooby-Doo hat. But we did find out Mary Berry will be very happy. Cake is eternal. Woo! That was the statement that I should be using in my life forever. The only thing that was linked to the dilithium, again, I thought was more political than telling us the story, because it's still a mystery, isn't it, what the burn was? And I still maintain my theory from last week. The only other time we get to mention that is Star Trek Next Generation and Force of Nature indicates that they're trying to look towards different types of energy for their ships. I don't want that to be the political statement of the episode or the season either well I, I, you see i don't mind them touching on these points and i think they are important points and it's quite interesting to see how you adapt those sorts of issues into a, a sci-fi universe but going back to what we've just banged on about fundamentally we just kind of want to be entertained so agreed that has to be the forefront as well as being supplemented and added to being made more rich with these great storylines i just felt they missed the trick in this episode it felt and and to be honest, I feel like I'm winning you over with my general uh, grumbliness about this episode. I just felt it was a bit of a nah episode. There was bits missed, skipped important parts. It got a bit preachy. There was too many things that worked out far too easily. And now we've skipped off using our very handy spore drive to wherever the hell we're going to go next. Unless you've got any other bugbearers or points, do you want to give scores? Do you want to Easter egg me first? Warning! Warning! 
So despite the misery that ensued in this episode, there were a few Easter eggs in this one. A smorgasbord, shall we say. Obviously the backstory to the 700 years. I don't think it's particularly Easter egg, but it's an observation of how the Bairn origins were and how dire straits that the Federation were later. If the timeline's correct, 500 years or so, because Picard is still using dilithium at that time. At that point, we've moved past next generation, so that just gives us a time frame for when they were struggling to replenish their fuel. 47 gets mentioned. Now this is a easter egg across many 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 programs anyone who's a fan of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy written by douglas adams will know that the meaning to life and everything is 42 this was not reckoned rick berman who is one of the executive producers of star trek suggested that he'd inflated it to 47 inflation yeah yeah when she's the courier she passes him what looks like a thumb drive with the ncc 4774 right now both 47 and 74 have been used throughout the star trek franchise as a easter egg to 42 Giorgio mentions to Buck that she's been gallivanting around with Michael we didn't really touch upon that did we I thought no. it was quite nice when she did that whole mother boyfriend well he wasn't really mother boyfriend because it's kind of traditionally always been the grumbly dad looking after his daughter type conversation but if we flip that around it was a protective mother really getting to know how inappropriate he'd been with her yeah. Burnham yeah. her Michael and I thought that was a really nice little bat I mean again that's why I'm sad that we might not see Buck in every episode now because he's brilliantly interacts with pretty much everyone. Oh, he does. A really good character. I thought they would have made more use of him, but maybe they've got better plans ahead. I don't know whether there's going to be a convergence of them all towards the end or something. I don't know. I actually thought they were going to flip from one thing to another. I have six episodes or however many's in a season focusing on Discovery and then on Burnham, which would have allowed for Buck to develop as a character. And even if they did it like they do with Fear the Walking Dead and The Walking Dead, they have one episode that focuses on a character or characters and then the second episode will be on the other two characters or whatever and then merge them across the season well of course when Discovery was originally released the idea was that each season would be a different ship wasn't it mm. it wasn't ever supposed to be no. how it's transpired so I think they've wasted a thing now which is a shame but uh, the gallivanting is a callback to the Wrath of Khan Kirk says gallivanting around the cosmos is a game for the young you mentioned before Titan which is the moon next to Saturn now we've seen this the opening credits for Star Trek Next Generation the Saturn's been mentioned next generation best of both worlds the first duty and then in the film the jj abrams film saturn appears near the enterprise in the 2009 film in the scene where book is putting on his costume that made him itchy very slowly by the way he had to do his token five seconds that's up on he must take about an hour and, to get and ready they, they were awful comfy getting dressed in the same room together bearing in mind that they aren't an item well i noticed either strategically or tactfully he already had his trousers on and she'd already gotten dressed into her uniform he waited even the, yeah, he was yeah. standing there watching. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh, I best get changed myself. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it took him an hour to get his top on. He's had his slacks on for about twenty minutes. He says sarcastically, "I, I, Commander Tabernum," and she replies, "One eye, we're not pirates." I liked that. Which was another. I mean, that's another funny part of it, isn't it? But there just weren't as many, was there? As in not the, as la- the last no. episode, I think, as we titled it, was just all about zingers, wasn't it? It was just. F- shots fired in all directions but this could be a reference to the next generation episode lower decks where Riker tells Laval one eye is enough for an acknowledgement because she's obviously nervous I've already mentioned this this is just an observation I'm not sure whether this would be classed as an easter egg Giorgio pretends to be an admiral she has the admiral's uniform on to make it believable she's fab she just doesn't give a shit does she I quite like this version this is the second time that Mira Giorgio has worn a Starfleet uniform even though she's not in Starfleet 
she's managed to gag in the first time she was impersonating if you remember Giorgio Prime but the thing is I shouldn't generally if you boil her down she's an outrageously right wing xenophobe who hates anything that isn't what she recognises as being how it should be Yeah, I shouldn't be supporting her that's not my life that's not my politics that's not my personality but if you're too gushy at that end you, at the moment she's been too cool she's not done anything that kind of treads in that direction she's just kind of been mischievously naughty at the minute which I really like I mean obviously she's going to do something at some point where you go no I can't support you on that you're on your own love but at the moment she's kind of the naughty school kid in the classroom who you kind of like giggling at because they make the lesson a bit more interesting she's like the panto villain isn't she yeah that's exactly what she is and audiences can accept that type of evilness whereas the irony is she's very much not a panto one I mean what she's done in her previous universe is nothing short of atrocious and we shouldn't feel that way in any way shape or form about her but it's not real so you can kind of overlook these things can't you yeah it's funny isn't it it's like evil to evil we just tolerate it more I think she's going to have a development in this season and I hope they don't spoil that striking a good balance between the humour and the fact that she has probably a plan in her mind I'm sure there's something going on in that brain that's working out how she can turn this to her favour so we'll have to wait and see listeners Synthahol another callback to Deep Space Nine book gets a bit upset I did wonder why he had all these glasses I thought you're on it you're properly on the ale because there's a replicator and you can make as much of it as you want he didn't realise he was hammering the beverages although you must be able to realise you don't instantly overnight become the world's best drinker if you have three pints for example on a normal night and you start feeling a bit fuzzy and then one day you drink three pints and you're still feeling clear as a bell you must obviously go I wonder whether there's alcohol in those beers to be factually accurate Synthahol doesn't affect humans in the same way as we know from a canon former Borgs and aliens can get drunk off Synthahol but he's not human is he? Booker is no he's not what is he? well we don't know what he is That's he looks human the... to me well he looks human but he wasn't well, I mean <laughs> when he does the doodah thingy and speaks to the animals and his forehead lights up that's not human dude Dr. Doolittle could do that well yeah he may be but he's not real either he's not no. human in fact I think Burnham specifically says he's not human so we don't know what species he is because oh, we've I don't obviously know. not come that's across that's a very it. interesting question to pose isn't it write in and yes. tell us all that I'm right and Mark's wrong whatever don't <laughs> send it by DHL because it won't arrive on time if you want it robbed sorry, yes. it may not have been robbed for legal reasons <laughs> We don't know. Investigations are still ongoing. When DHL's website start providing wonderful photography, we know it has been robbed. (laughs) Don't get me started again. I'm gutted about that. Move on. Synthahol was last seen when uh, Scotty complained about having to drink it in 10 forward in the episode Relics. Wonderful episode. Really good. Quantum torpedoes are mentioned when when's when when's raiders have quantum torpedoes. This was mentioned for the very first time, which at the time would have been an advancement in technology. The film first contact which I believe was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. At the time, Quantum Torpedoes would have been... Better than this episode. (laughs) You need to get out your pizza oven and you need to start focusing on the direction better. Well, that's actually a good point. If Will Riker had just appeared in this episode, even if you didn't need to explain it, clearly you weren't overly up for explaining an awful lot of shit in this episode. But if Will Riker had magically appeared, it would have been a good episode. You'd have to explain it because we didn't explain how Burnham overcame when or whatever his name was. Why do we need to explain why Riker's just suddenly strutted into Saru's office, planted his foot with his groin right in Saru's face and giving him some wonderful words of wisdom. I hope his beard's got the same curl on it as yours. (laughs) He'd have to wear a face mask for two hours. At the time, 
the technology was advanced for first contact. They're not using anything that's got superseded since then. The old tech, really. Wonderful line. Saru says that Starfleet doesn't fire first. He's actually quoting Giorgio from the very first episode of Star Trek. Get your own line, Saru. I know, just stealing stuff now. Yeah. Titan mentioned, which is the moon around Saturn. This has been in canon a lot in the first duty episode. Wesley was training near Titan. And then again, Chekhov hid the ship behind Titan in the 2009 J.J. Abrams film. Did you know it's official Chekhov? list day today when you said check off I thought you were going to go check it off the list no I didn't I mentioned this earlier about the quadrants does anyone have an idea of what quadrants are in we know we're in the alpha quadrants do we have an idea of where they were it doesn't matter now because we can jump wherever and whenever we want and to hell with the mushrooms a theme that's been throughout Star Trek Discovery is Giorgio's telescope and there's a scene in this episode where Saru's putting it back up for some bizarre reason it looks dirtier in this one I don't remember it, it looks damaged I thought. it looks like it needs to go to the repair shop and get fixed yeah I thought it was damaged it doesn't look like he's looking after it as well as no. uh, Burnham did. It's like the Tesseract, isn't it? It's something been passed around to appear now and again. It was the gift that Giorgio gave to Burnham when she died. It was what she gave her. It appeared again. Burnham gave it to Saru, didn't she? Yeah. They're having a heart-to-heart, aren't they, between each other about the chain of command and trust and all those things. And I suppose that sings back to the trust between Giorgio and Burnham. She went against orders, didn't she? So I don't know whether it's just an emotional prop. The biggest revelation is that we find that Adira is Trill. The interest thing which again is a massive retcon because let's be honest they do not know about Trills. Trills were not introduced until Deep Space Nine, and the fact of the matter is... No, that's true, is that? So do you know what he says, don't you? He says, oh, do you remember the episode that no one's heard, we have heard, because we're in it, where they download all that porn from the sphere? <laughs> he very quickly, cleverly, retcons the reason why he's familiar with Trills by telling Burnham, in the episode An Obel for Sharon, they encounter the sphere where they download all the porn information. <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> well, that's what we thought it we was. Thought, we, yeah. we thought it was a massive porn dump wasn't it that they, they managed to get off that sphere thing the type of thing that people have started putting into their wills as a friend to burn all the porn when they die <laughs> the porn download is what you get rid of where you put your hard drive in the microwave so he might not necessarily recognise a trill in a normal environment no he might not recognise it with clothes on that's how they very cleverly explain how they know about trills because they wouldn't have known about trills but you see why do we need to do that why, why can we not go oh wow we've never met why can we not make a big deal about the fact that we've never met a Trill and we don't understand why it is that it doesn't work properly. It's a bit annoying that they've kind of got this smorgasbord of answers to every question with the data dump from the Sphere. To go back to what you were saying before, it's a lazy writing because they could have done that and had over the course of the season develop their own understanding of a Trill from the perspective of a non-binary character. However, they're going to develop that, which will be interesting. I love the diversity tick. That would be a really good way. The challenge that you've got is a non-binary character who is in fact a trill very clearly what you are but as non-binary what challenges does that present and she's human yeah that's not normally how trills are kept and young because they're not usually that young are they when they receive the symbiont because there's like they go through decades and decades of training so Esri Dax in Deep Space Nine she struggled because she'd had it earlier than she was supposed to have done absolutely and then in the Next Generation episode the host William Riker merges with a trill that's 22 57 so they wouldn't have been familiar with that i know what you mean it, there's an awful lot of problems that are potentially in in the sphere of potentially going to be revolving around this character and hopefully they do do that because it'd be interesting to see how it pans out but 
they've kind of alluded to the fact that they kind of know the answers to most of the questions. It's like, Bleh. well, that's a bit that's annoying is that the lack of knowledge or the lack of the understanding would be the humble approach for them to learn from scratch. If this sphere had all of the history that they ever needed to do, like for example, Google, which isn't a sponsor, we just Google stuff now. We don't go away and find it in the book. So whatever Google tells us is our reality. So if Google aligned to us, we're going with what Google tell us. No one goes to the libraries anymore. This sphere has gone, oh, by the way, trills existed in 2257. Oh, right. Okay. We all know, which is lazy. Adira can say, look, I'm not normally the person who ends up with a symbiont, but there was no other opportunity. They don't normally get put into someone as young as I am. Here's the reasons why. So I've got this challenge. The discovery team learn because Adira's given them the information and then they have to then piece the rest of it together to help solve the problems that Adira's talking about. And that's cool. That's great. That's an adventure, but we're learning it real time instead of, oh, don't worry, we filled in the backstory, guys. Nod, nod, wink, wink. I just realised a wink to you, which is... Thank you. Point, yeah, that's why I filled in the wink bit, because I suddenly realised it just looked a bit weird winking at each other. Well, you winked at me. It was a private wink. <laughs> Yeah, between colleagues. Moving on. But I mean, the other thing is they've not made her an android because she'd be very binary. She would be a non-binary binary android because they work on zeros and ones. Mm. And does that bring a new means to the battle of binary stars? Would it be the battle of non-binary stars? The mind boggles. The mind boggles, man. The last couple, the massive tree. Oh, well, I forgot to moan about this. So you give the Easter egg and then I'll have a moan. Just the... Anyone of the next generation will be familiar with Boothby, Wicard's mentor going through Starfleet Academy. And this tree, clearly, even though Starfleet doesn't exist, has grown into a massive tree. Is another emotional prop, want for a better word. Well, the problem is Boothby was always spoilt for me because he was a right miserable toad when Picard comes across him. And then he's obviously introduced in Voyager, but as the species 1476452342. Bingo. And... <laughs> I now always think of Boothby as the bad guy because of those two things because we've obviously never met the Boothby that everyone bangs on about. What the fuck was that all about with the tree? The, this Everyone hugging the tree and I'm going, oh, you remember I used to study at this tree? How many people used to study around this tree at any one time? Well, let's be honest, anyone who went to Starfleet Academy. Yeah, so if there was 10,000 people studying at any one time, were they all just sat around this tree? Was it like when you're on holiday and there's those people who generally get down there early and lob the towels onto the some beds to make sure that they've begsied the best spot. Is that what it was? Students getting up early, which is in itself an oxymoron. Yeah. Because I don't ever remember getting up early as a student. Did they get down there early and go, I'll be studying there, which is another oxymoron when you're talking about students. Because <laughs> I don't remember doing that either. I'm going to sit by this tree. Do you remember doing that? Studiously study while surrounded by 9,999 other eager beavers. Well, all of the Starfleet people who went to Starfleet Academy, the millions of people who have died, would have at some point in their career education gone to that tree and I don't think they would have been studying at it they probably pissed all over it and vomited on it and the grass I mean the grass there'd have been a massive dip where everyone had been walking around and they'd wearing the hole and thing and uh, yeah I didn't particularly like that scene where they're all hugging and crying on the tree it wasn't the tree's fault no and it must have a preservation order on it because it's been there for over 200 years at least hasn't it let's be honest 23rd century to the 32nd century no one has gone near that with a chainsaw some unscrupulous developer who wants to build a high-rise has gone. It was like that when we found it, mate. And finally, the final Easter egg to top off this episode was a 32nd century version of the Golden Gate Bridge, which clearly has been rebuilt since it was partially
partially destroyed in the Dominion War of the 2370s. The last time you and I saw it, and those who have been following the Picard show, was in 2399 with Picard. He throws his Easter egg notes away with that great aplomb. That, my friend, was the last of the Easter eggs. Well, not this week anyway. So what would you give this show out of 10 then? Come on, give us your summary. Well, the summary very quickly is I was going to give it an 8. <laughs> I feel like I've polluted your brain with my bad mood. You have, rightfully so, because the things I was given an 8 for, when you weigh it up, are actually not that much in the whole scheme of a 42-minute episode. I really liked the moment where they were doing that mediation part. But having dissected it, I'm not convinced it would be like it would be in the Next Generation days. And I don't know whether it's because I'm biased toward Picard and Riker, and even Deanna Troy, because Deanna Troy always added another element and another layer. She was the mentor to Picard, and when he was struggling, would always go, have you considered this? And he was graceful enough to go, "Mm, I think you're right there. There was none of that. Very quickly, you need to talk to them, punch in the nuts. It's resolved. Shake hands on it. Titan save. Punch in the nuts just for good measure. Yeah, another punch because you might change your mind later. Hurrah. And then it was like, oh, what's humans dealing with humans? We, we're kind of not a new species. I'm having to go down now. Oh. I'm going to have to go. Hang on. Oh. Beep, beep, beep. That's the sound of somebody reversing. And I'm going to give it a seven. Only just seven. I don't really want to tarnish this series with a six because I'm hoping they're going to build on this. But... If they continue down this road, I won't be a happy bunny. What about you? I don't like it when episodes leave me feeling a little bit irritated because I keep reminding myself that for 20 years we've had no Star Trek and so the fact that we're now getting lots of Star Trek and it's coming out every week and as I said before I get to wake up on a Friday morning with the wonderment of a Star Trek episode to enjoy and just indulge upon is good, it's great and actually in the general scheme of things I think this is a good show I don't think this is a bad episode in the truest sense of I can't watch this I'm going to have to switch it off which I am prepared to do with programmes if they turn out to be utter codswallop it's not a bad episode but particularly when you bear in mind that Jonathan Frakes who arguably did the best Star Trek movie and did some absolutely cracking episodes both in Picard Mm. and in Discovery I think he he did one of my favourite Discovery episodes as well which Mm. might have been the one where they're having the fight with the Klingons it was the mid-season break in season one I think Frakes is an alien no pun intended to doing episodes and generally has a good track record of doing them well I feel he massively dropped the ball here because I think there are those things that we've discussed are like student learning topics that shouldn't be made you shouldn't be missing huge gaps from what isn't a necessarily complex storyline telling us how Booker and Burnham managed to get onto their ship it should be a big secret I don't understand why it's a secret I don't understand why they've cut it out say for that they have to get it under a certain time period which is a bugbear particularly when you're not restricted to time I think some of the dialogue was cheesy it let itself down and so I'm going to give it a 6 because a 7 would probably aptly describe how I felt watching it. I enjoyed it. It's Star Trek. It still leaves me feeling happy at the end of it, even if it's not perfect. However, you have to lose a point for just some basic TV-making flaws. There were some lazy cuts to the storyline, wasn't there? And I think it needs to pick itself up for episode 4, and I hope it takes a bit of a direction change from where I fear it 
otherwise might be headed. I hope they don't go down the route of just trying to change the universe one planet at a time. I want it to go back to Game of Thrones style stuff. I want to worry about when they send two people <laughs> on an away mission, whether one of them's coming back alive or indeed both of them are. Because you've got to remember, I mean, in season one, spoiler alert, although if you listen to this, why the friggin' hell it'd be a spoiler, I don't know. <laughs> in, was it episode one or episode two, when the head of security gets wiped out? Oh, yeah. I mean, she, as an actress, she was well pissed off about the fact that she got wiped out. And as a, an actress losing her job, I've, or an actor losing her job, I feel incredibly sympathetic from her. But from a TV perspective, it's like all of a sudden, wow, they don't mind getting rid of people if it suits the storyline. And all of a sudden, everybody's got the neck on the chopping block. I hope they don't do that because they have brought back people, haven't they? Which is an observation you made. Who's the android one? Arium. Which is great because I didn't recognise her as back. But if you're going to kill people, let's kill them and then develop your stories. I hope they don't go back to a load of ship-based stories. I like the fact that they're out in the open. Well, Colbert died and we brought him back. Yeah. Saru, we thought, was going to die and he didn't. Giorgio was dead but actually it's not and she's way cooler than she was the first time around. We keep on doing it. Eventually it loses that tension that you feel when they're in a dangerous situation because you think it's all right. Even if they die, they'll be brought back to life again. Yeah, I mean, the groundbreaking time for Next Generation was Tasha Yar died. What you don't want to have happen is your core crew, the viewer, just know for a fact that none of those people are going to get killed because it becomes... Predictable, Yes, whereas this, I totally agree. You never knew where you stood. It wasn't quite the Red Wedding, but you never knew who was safe and who wasn't you had that smarmy pilot guy and they were trying to say reno you know showing off wasn't he to burn him going it's all right i know what i'm doing he gets wiped out yeah i mean they're great but because you don't know him you don't have that investment do you no, no. i need characters who i'm invested in colbert i was invested in i mean we didn't know him hugely at that time but he was a character who we'd become familiar enough with to know he was an important part of stamets life which created a problem he was one of only two doctors on the entire ship so that created another problem dave was gonna have to to get his white gloves on um, when you bring him back you're just removing an important tool from your toolbox and Agreed. I hope that doesn't happen we'll have to find out for next episode won't we we will do guys apologise for venting my frustrations on life in general I shall keep you updated on a weekly basis as to my now ongoing battle you should set up a blog <laughs> with the couriers if you would like to have a comment about any of our vitriol or you have an opinion or you'd like to correct us on a point or indeed answer some of the questions that we have raised if you would like to be a sponsor of the show because you've got loads of Wonga that would be very much appreciated you can get in touch discofever at thepodstation.co.uk if you're listening to this show presumably you already know where to find us but if not if you go to thepodstation.co.uk you'll find either the Disco Fever page or the Picard Talk page which is our sister show where you can hear all about Picard season 1 where we did exactly the same for that as we're doing here well worth checking out you can find them on all of the major podcast platforms whichever is your preference if you subscribe when the next episode drops it will automatically download onto your device so that's kind of cool because you can wake up to our voices i've just put everyone off with that point that's not to, <laughs> let's not put it that way eh? you can catch us on the socials we're on facebook twitter instagram whichever is your preference drop us a line on there too five star reviews five star give us five star reviews because our egos are not big enough already and that to be told that we're not completely rubbish at this it would be nice the other thing was we run a twitter poll after every episode to ask people what their thoughts are if you go on 
to our Twitter, give us a vote on there. And if you give us a comment about the episode specifically, we'll give you a shout out on the show. We haven't really done it so far on Disco. I should really start doing so. Make sure you comment and we will make sure you get a shout out on the show. Can't say better than that, can you? No. Is there anything else? No, I think I've rambled enough. Okay. I need to go sit down. (laughs) (laughs) In a cold bath fuming well thank you for tuning in thank you for listening once again uh, you'll catch us same time next week so we look forward to hearing our dulcet tones thank you and take care yes thank you very much guys see you later away team out happy halloween <laughs> 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 <laughs>